You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. We've got a lot to get to. We'll visit with Brandon Marcello at 24-7 Sports Talk, a little bit of Auburn. Also, we'll have the latest news around the SEC, a recruiting report, Texas A&M, is on fire and a scouting spotlight looks at the Commonwealth. want to remind you to go to Twillery.com. That's Twillery.com and use the promo code locked on, the promo code locked on, and you can get $25 off some fantastic shirts, comfortable, and you don't even have to iron them. Uh, they are absolutely wrinkle free. So check them out, Twillery.com. Plenty of news around the SEC, a lot of it is recruiting. And Ole Miss, Alabama, and Mississippi State uh, lead us off, Chris. Well, uh, they've got uh, McKinney Jackson, the 2020 defensive tackle. Um, he looks really good. He's a Georgia County, Mississippi native. Um, and he's probably not going to make his decision to later in the process. But word is, is that he is going to go to Ole Miss. Uh, LSU, Florida State, Alabama, uh, also very interested in this top 100 overall prospect. It would be great for the Rebs to get this guy, an in-state guy, but a top 100 overall player nationally. Really good-looking player. Um, McKinley Jackson, uh, no news in terms of him making an announcement, but the uh, word in the grapevine is he is, and I'm talking the coaches at other schools believe that he's an Ole Miss guy and they don't see that changing now. The one thing I'll mention is we don't know how the season will go, and uh, that's the thing about these early commitments we've talked about over and over again. What if you have a disastrous season? What if a couple of key guys on the staff are removed? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, You know, it's not done yet. It's a long way away. But uh, the word is that McKinley Jackson is definitely wants to be an Ole Miss Rebel. It would be great for them. For Alabama, Xavier Alford. Uh, the safety, I am hearing an outstanding safety, uh, 6'1", 181-pound, big-time hitter with range. Um, despite all the talk lately about LSU, AM making inroads, uh, it looks like uh, Alabama for him. Uh, he kind of sees himself as the next great one there. So we'll see how that uh, plays out there. But Xavier uh, Alford, the uh, big-time safety we've talked about here in the scout spotlight, uh, really long, athletic, physical safety. And some potential good news, at least at this stage for Mississippi State, Aaron Parks, another big tackle, a four-star offensive tackle in this 2020 class. Uh, We've talked about him, 6'6", 294. Um, He was a Penn State commitment. That's where we've talked about him. We talked about him on the Big Ten podcast, I know. Uh, And he was one of the decommitments recently from Penn State. Really good-looking talent, moves his feet well for a big guy. Uh, He took a visit recently to Pitt. Um, But he said that it's Oklahoma or Mississippi State. So it's great for Mississippi State to be in that mix. We're talking Florida, North Carolina, a number of schools that really trying to get in on him after he decommitted for Penn State. It It looks like he has backed away completely from the Nittany Lions, but Mississippi State's got a shot. I would say definitely Oklahoma's the favorite, but we'll see how that plays out. So that's the news of the day in the SEC. 
more uh, recruiting news in our recruiting report, and we focus on one school, Texas A&M is uh, absolutely on fire. Absolutely. A&M has just had unbelievable, well, it's been an unbelievable stretch, but the last couple of weeks have been outstanding. Um, they've got all the, and this is a guy that is not committed yet. So this is, we're talking about two guys coming up here right now in this, this segment that haven't committed yet. So on top of the guys that have given them the good news, I am hearing that they've got all the momentum for four-star corner Joshua Eaton. Now, uh, it looked like Texas, Texas, Texas with him, uh, but it looks like the Aggies are closing in on the 6'2", 175-pounder from Aldine, Texas. He's a top 50 player in the state. Um, Big, good-looking kid. The Aggies are looking really good, as they are for uncommitted four-star defensive end Vernon Broughton. Uh, It looks like the Houston native is going to take all of his five visits, LSU, Ohio State, Arkansas, Texas, and Texas A&M. And it looks like um, he might announce next month, in the month of July. He's a top 60 overall prospect nationally, and A&M's got a big lead for him. So not it's good news, Dave, but not anything even remotely official yet. But it sounds like the Aggies are going to get two more elite prospects. So this building off of what they've done, uh, hold on, because the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher are coming. Yep, uh, we we figured that would be the case. Jimbo Fisher, when when he wants to recruit, can be a fantastic recruiter. And <laughs> oh, that's a shout out to the Florida State fans. I know. Maybe some of them may be listening here on this SEC podcast. We welcome them to do that. <laughs> and now he's in the state of Texas. Uh, so he should do well. Scouting spotlight. Uh, you look at a uh, Kentucky offensive lineman that uh, plays a really important position. We know uh, center can set the tone. You know, I don't. I think the kid's the best center in the SEC. And other people will talk about Darrell Williams, who's really good. Uh, the Colin Castile kid from Missouri, McCollum from AM. There, there's some good ones. I think this kid's outstanding. He was a four-star kid out of high school in the class of 2016 from, uh, if I remember, I believe Woodford County in uh, Versailles, Kentucky there. Last year, he graded well as a sophomore. He started all 13 games. Uh, He started 20 consecutive games now. So you go back, this is a kid that played as a freshman, was a really a stalemate on a very good offensive line that that I think is going to be good again, a lot to do with him. But I think this kid is, first of all, he's super bright. Uh, what he would like to do when his football career is over uh, is be an astronaut. Um, I don't know if we can get a suit to fit him enough. In, in those, <laughs> but he's, he is really, really bright, and he plays that way on the field. Because not always these guys that are really super smart translate well, but you see the instincts you know, on the field and his ability to be able to feel pressure and shift him off. Just a really good player. Uh, Want to give some love to a center at Kentucky that's not playing for John Calipari. Uh, Drake Jackson is outstanding and somebody you should watch this year on a Kentucky offensive line that I think is going to be pretty good. We're going to get to Kentucky probably on Monday in our preview section of schools. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what they got coming back. And uh, But, but they're certainly on the offensive line, led by Drake Jackson, Wanted to give him some love because this guy has got 
a good short set in the pass game. He comes off with a flat back in the run game. Really nice feet, really smart, and he's got good upper body strength to turn guys. You know, can reach a three technique pretty easily. An impressive-looking young guy can get out onto the second level, uh, reach a linebacker. Drake Jackson of Kentucky, outstanding center. Maybe, maybe the best center in the SEC this year. We'll see. Pretty strong. All right, that is Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker coming up. We will have our team-by-team preview. Today we take a look at the Vols and see what Chris Landry thinks of Jeremy Pruitt in year number two. Stay tuned. More after this. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. This is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. We do a team-by-team preview of each team in the uh, SEC and the Vols fall under that spotlight uh, today. And uh, Chris, I know that Jeremy Pruitt needed a massive overhaul uh, of the roster that he saw, both in terms of philosophy and, well, overall talent, frankly. But uh, what do you think of year number two? Uh, how much progress can they make off last season? Well, I think they can a lot. And 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 I know you, you monitor this program like you do all of them very closely. And you know, the thing that jumped out at me last year was, and it's always the case in the first year, it varies some, but but it's always the case. You've got to, it's a culture set. It's about how we're going to practice, how we're going to meet, how we're going to do things. And I think that we're going to see improvement in that regard. But I, I want to caution everybody because I think that, you know, not, not to be disrespectful, but for the, a lot of the media and the fans, improvement is, well, what the one-loss record is going to be. You know, and that, so that that's their only thing. Well, you know, they went five and seven. So it's only an improvement if they win six games or seven. Or, you know, and, and it, it's – I think we're going to see some of that. But the improvement in the win record, the win-loss record, is only relative to who you're playing. We've talked about that at, at a bunch. So looking at what they did, recruiting is – the key. And I think probably their best recruit for them was getting Jim Chaney to run the offense from Georgia, replacing him, replacing Titan Helton with him. Uh, I think it's going to benefit them a great deal. I think it's going to set the tone for what Jeremy wants to be on offense and be as a team as he begins to try to build a defense, to begin to try to establish a running game. Now, the biggest problem I see is an offensive line that's just still not very good. And they're not as good as Kentucky. They're not as good as Missouri on the offensive line. Those are some of the issues that I see. Um, Look, Cheney's done a good job at Georgia, Pitt, Arkansas, Purdue, Tennessee in his first stint in the 9 and 12 era. Um, I'm a little bit more interested in what's going to happen on the other side of the ball with Derek Ainsley. That's a Purely, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, comfortable with him type of guy. Um, but Jeremy's, you know, and it's first first time calling defensive signals. It's, you know, but this is Jeremy's going to have his handle on it. So I think it makes, there, there's a chance that it can really work because I think Jim Chaney, if Jeremy wants to handle this the right way in my mind, he works with Derek on the defense and he leaves Jim Chaney alone and kind of let him run it. Now, when I look at it, uh, I think that, you know, Derek's a good recruiter. I think they've tried to fix some members of the staff to improve their recruiting. Look, they 
they were good enough last year to beat Auburn and Kentucky. We know Auburn's up and down. We know how good Kentucky was last year. Okay, but the thing that Tennessee has to do this year is they've got to show up every week. I think their lack of depth showed up, and it certainly did. They lost by 25 points. Man, I knew they got beaten, but when I really started to look at it, it was at least 25 points to West Virginia, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Missouri, and <clears throat> hope you're sitting down. Vanderbilt reminded everybody three straight losses to Vanderbilt. Now, that's not all on Jeremy. That's what he inherited. But last year to get basically be non-competitive in some of those games were really uh, an issue. So I think that the lack of talent really is kind of shown, and that's not due to Jeremy. He's got to fix that. But we've talked about this, Dave. That's that's in relation to trying to catch Georgia and Florida. And, and it is a it is a long race, and those two are so far out ahead they can't Tennessee can't even see them. But they've gotta they've gotta work to where they can get at least in sight. And I have no doubt that they're gonna be competitive. I have no doubt that Jeremy's gonna put a stamp to where there's gonna be a toughness, there's gonna be an attitude. I think he's going to probably eventually rattle some cages and in, in the administration to say we've got to do some things differently and continue to upgrade, not do it the way Tennessee's done it in the past, but do it the way Alabama and Tennessee and Florida are doing it now. But I, I look at this and I say Chandler is a big threat at running back. They got a receiving core that's got talent. Garantano is is a solid quarterback. Um but can their offensive line hold up? That's a concern. On defense, I think Taylor and leads a, a couple of good linebacking core. Uh, the secondary, I think, could be pretty good with Warrior and Bryce Thompson and Taylor. But I, I worry a little bit about, uh, I mean, you look at them last year, their, their offense ranked in the bottom three of the SEC in scoring and rushing. And, and it really, when I studied the tape, it just came back week in and week out play on the offensive line. And that's where they got, they got hammered, you know, um, and, and yet they were able to stand up against some really good guys in Kentucky. So the defense loses, you know, all the three guys um, up front in the defensive line, and they didn't stop the run very well anyway. So they should be improved on offense. How much? Don't know. And what Jim can do there. I'm going to have to play some young guys and live with it. Defense could be better. How much? Don't know. Um, Look, they finished last in the SEC in each of the past two years. So, I mean, they got nine victories in the past two seasons. So, uh, look, they, 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 I mean, you know, it's just, to me, something that they've got to, this is the worst since kind of the late 70s, you know, era in terms of Tennessee. For all the, the, the problems that they've had, it's kind of hit rock bottom. Yet, some of the better players, the ones that are good, are some of the Butch Jones guys. But you see the weaknesses in certain areas that's left Jeremy in a pickle. So they're going to face five teams that won at least 10 games last year. I mean, think about it. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, even like UAB, Mississippi State last year. Uh, Mississippi State replaces Auburn on the schedule this year. BYU replaces West Virginia. That's good. That's a help. So they open up the season against Georgia State and BYU and then Chattanooga. So 
get off the three and zero start, build some momentum. Then, then you start to get into you got to go to a trip to Florida, and then you got the gauntlet with Georgia, Mississippi State, at Alabama, South Carolina. So, um, which is one three in a row against Tennessee, and Will Muschamp's record against Tennessee, I think it, I think is like seven and zero, eight and zero from his time at South Carolina and Florida. So, listen, I think the trips to Kentucky and Missouri um, are, are going to be pivotal, and and certainly got to beat Vanderbilt. So. Your thoughts on on Tennessee? A couple of things that just jump out at me again: the talent upgrade. I think it's going to take longer than you know for people that think, okay, next year Tennessee. No, folks, trust me. I, I you know this year is going to be maybe a little bit better. Next year, it's another two years of good recruiting. Okay, it's going to take another three years before they can they can be competitive. The baby steps to me, I don't give a flip about how they fare against Georgia and Florida. If they're in Alabama, if they're competitive, great. They got to focus on beating Kentucky, beating South Carolina, beating Vanderbilt. And that may even take a year, a couple of years. So it may may take another year for that to start to happen. But um, I thought they played very poorly down the stretch. It's a byproduct of their lack of talent. And I think that Jim Chaney's an upgrade. We'll see how it's going to play out. I think Garantano's going to be um, a, a big, you know, a big factor for him. I think they can make some plays in the passing game. What can they do there? So second year, be patient, ball fans. But I think there's a long way to go. I think <clears throat> I will say this. I think the fan base is a little more patient now than they were in in the change from. Uh, Kiffin to Dooley and Dooley to Butch Jones. Uh, I think getting beat down by a decade uh, of really mediocre football has has changed the views. Uh, some of my friends I talk to who are huge Tennessee fans, it's not about competing for championships anymore. It's like, darn it, it would just be nice to go to a bowl game. Yes. So yeah, that's what I hear from fans. And the reason I think that's significant is – if it doesn't get a lot better by, say, this season or next season, I think there's some patience there, and I think that's key because the last thing you want is a, a situation, I believe, where assistant coaches are concerned that Jeremy Pruitt could be on the hot seat. We saw a lot of turnover in coaching with Butch Jones and Derek Dooley. So I actually think fan patience, which is unusual, could be a bonus for Jeremy Pruitt moving forward. You? Uh- no question, and it's good to hear because, you know, you look at the whole situation, and, and you want to know how a program could just fall apart. Circumstances. Lane Kiffin leaves, goes to USC. You know, everybody talks about Derek Dooley was a bad hire. Yeah, well, yeah, he was, but guess what? Look when they had to hire him. You know, look, look at, look at, you know, it was kind of difficult, and they did look. They've done an awful job with coaching hires, so they go through that process. It get Derek, and that wasn't the best situation. And there was a lot of bad eggs on that roster from Lane Kiffin, who recruited a, had a lot of character flaw guys on there. So that need to be cleaned up. Then, you know, we all know, and and guys, if 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 I hear one more fan, the 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 stupid, I would call them stupid bloggers in the Tennessee. Oh, John Gruden's coming. John Gruden's coming. John Gruden's coming. It, you know, where A, trust me, you don't want John Gruden. 
John Gruden would have been a disaster hire for Tennessee football. But, you know, it all stuck in all that, and they're going to do this. And okay, it's like, all right, Butch Jones and, you know, Butch did some good things at Cincinnati. And Butch was on the fast track. He was, he was, had a great chance of getting the West Virginia job when Rich Rod left. Um, and of course we know kind of, they stayed in house, but, but he almost went back there. We know Butch kind of flaked out. Um, and, and it wasn't, it turned out the, the, the tenure was worse than probably the hire. It wasn't a good hire. So, and we don't need to go into the last coaching search and the president and the disaster that was the president, John Curry, which less so, but still a problem. And then now there seems to be some stability with Phillip and they've got a good coach. Okay. So the one thing Tennessee needs is stability. They've got an athletic director. I don't know that Phillip's a great athletic director, but I think he stabilized in what they needed. So now you put, you know, Jeremy in a situation where they can be patient with him. I think this makes a whole lot of sense to just be patient, build it. Let's look at their schedule. Need to start off three and zero. You agree, Georgia State, BYU, Chattanooga. That that okay. you know, lose a game like that. That's that's a mess. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Sorry, Tennessee fans. You know, you're not beating Florida, Georgia, or Alabama. Something bad would happen to those teams if you pulled an upset. And if you do, great. But you know, that that's not realistic. So it comes down to: Can you go on the road beat Missouri? I'm I'm I'm. I'm going out of order here, but can you go on the road at the end of the year, beat Missouri and Kentucky? Okay. That, that's, you know, you, how about South Carolina at home on October 26th? How about Mississippi state on October 12th? Cause okay. Yeah. Got you. We got you three wins. Okay. Let's say you beat UAB. You got to beat UAB at home in November. Got to do it. And that's not easy. You got nah. one of the up and coming coaches in Bill Clark. That's a game that if you win, you're not going to get credit for, and you're going to get just reamed if you lose it. But I'm going to tell you, that is not a given that you beat US, UAB. I think that you probably will. Can you beat Vanderbilt? I, I know that's saying, I'm going to give you a win over Alabama, Birmingham, and Vanderbilt. I'm going to give it to you with no real logical reason in that, boy, you just, you just need to win those two. And, and are you going to be good enough at the end of the year, deep enough at the end of the year, and hold up at the line of scrimmage at the end of the year to beat Vanderbilt? I don't know, Dave. I don't know. But it, they need to win those two in the first three. That's your five wins. You got to do all that. Then you got to find a win. One win against Mississippi State, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri. One of those, that gets you your six. Folks, I'm going to tell you, all this talk about, well, seven and five or bust. I think Tennessee can go seven and five. I do. I think eight and four would be flukish, meaning it would be a phenomenal year. Some great things happen. You get some teams at the right time. This is not an eight and four team. It might get an eight and four record. It's not an eight and four team. I think it's a potential seven and five team, but I think it's just as good, just as likely that it's a six and six team. In terms of how they look, in some areas, skill position-wise, secondary, receiver, I think backs, I think they can be a seven-win team, maybe bordering on eight. Line of scrimmage, you're probably a six-and-six team, you know, at best. So let's see where it goes. But getting to a bowl game, I think, to your point, 
would be great. Yeah, win more than that, fine. But but I think this this the patience needs to be key because stability is what they lack. And right now, any movement away from stabilizing this program is going to only further put it into a further downspin. Tennessee can get back, but getting back might be you know still not good enough to catch Florida and Georgia. But at least when you can be in the race, which they're not right now, that's where they need to be. Yep. Well said. That is your uh, Locked on SEC football podcast preview of Tennessee. Don't forget to go to Twillery.com. Use the Locked on promo code. Get $25 off. The Locked on promo code. Get $25 off. And coming up, we'll visit with Brandon Marcello. Talk a little bit of Auburn and just uh, what kind of hot seat Gus Malzahn is on. He is uh, with 24-7, Brandon Marcello, right after this. Your Locked On SEC Football podcast rolls on. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're Locked On SEC Football podcast. We get to Brandon Marcello of 24-7. He talks about the uh, president change at Auburn and how that could affect uh, football coach Gus Malzahn. You know, I think if you look at it uh, from the standpoint of, you know, the job security question, you know, Stephen Leaf, I think, forever obviously tied himself to Gus Malzahn by negotiating himself that $7 million, or excuse me, seven-year, $49 million contract. So I think Leaf was going to have to make a tough decision at the end of the season if Gus Malzahn was teetering on the edge of, say, you know, some people wanting him out. But what I think it means for Gus Malzahn is that he kind of loses a little bit of a safety net. In that, I mean, say Auburn goes eight and four, and it's one of those things where some people want him gone, some people think he should stay another year. I think that Stephen Leaf would have been able to step in and you know, maybe try to put out some of those fires and Gus Malzahn would stick around. And now that Leaf's gone, his, you know, his main supporter, the guy who helped him get this contract, um, I don't think he'd have that support, obviously. So I think that's the the biggest thing, hypothetically, that could affect Gus Malzahn with this departure of Stephen Leaf. Um, because if, if Gus Malzahn loses, you know, a lot of games, he's going to be gone either way. If he if he wins a lot of games, he's staying. But the question is, what what happens if he's in the in between, so to speak? Uh, he doesn't have that supporter anymore. Yeah, and I don't want to oversimplify it by any stretch of the imagination, but it it does seem as if there could be a number out there. I mean, how many games did he have to win? You think beforehand to to keep his job with that current president, and and maybe how many is it now? I know you threw the eight number out there, but if you really had to put a finger on it, what would it be? You know, it's a good question. I think it really depends on you know who he loses to. Um, if he's eight and four, but he's beaten Georgia, he's probably okay. He might be okay. He's eight and four, and he loses to Georgia and Alabama plus two other games. Uh, there's a possibility there's a change made there. Um, I think if he goes seven and five, he's probably done. He's cooked. Um, but you know, it's just too difficult to say because I think it depends a lot on who they defeat because they cannot lose 
you know, any steps behind uh, Alabama or Georgia. I mean, you know, I think they're already behind them a little bit right now anyway. Obviously, they're behind Alabama, but Georgia is starting to pass them a little bit. And when your two chief rivals are doing that and doing what they're doing, but also they're not just your chief rivals, but you're sandwiched between them uh, geographically, and you're competing for the same recruits specifically with, with Georgia. Uh, I mean, Auburn goes into Georgia all the time to get kids, and they steal them away from Georgia. That's not happening as much anymore. Auburn's recruiting rankings, you know, they've gone from top 10 every year to just outside the top 10 this past recruiting class to what I think might just be a top 15 class right now, which sounds good on paper, but when you look in the SEC, that's like, you know, going to be like eighth in the in the conference, right? and that's not good enough for Auburn. So, um you know, there's a lot of things and, and factors that will go into this whole decision uh, for Gus Malzahn. But, uh, you know, they, they just can't lose any more ground uh, to their two chief rivals in this entire situation. And, you know, not just losing to them um, would hurt, but what's going on in the recruiting trail these next few months is something to watch as well. Brandon, you, you said that if he goes 7-5, and five, he's, he's probably cooked. But I was on ESPN. Chris Lowe wrote a story about uh, the the superlatives of college football, of which Auburn got the toughest overall Power Five schedule. <laughs> they face A and M and LSU and Florida and Georgia and Oregon, and it's a tough road. They've got to go through the gauntlet. Do you really think that Gus Malzahn's got a chance with a new quarterback that he's going to have to figure out who's starting anyway? Yeah. Um, you know, here's the thing. I mean, he's got a really great def- defense, a uh, good, a very good defensive line, one of the best in the country. Uh, his offensive line filled with seniors. Um, he's got some talented receivers. I think he's solid at running back. The big question is the quarterback. But yeah, that schedule is just so tough. But if you want to be a top fifteen, top ten program, you got to beat some of those top ten, top fifteen teams. Um, is it unfair that, you know, the, the biggest season of his entire career and whether he stays or goes potentially all leans on facing four teams on the road or at neutral sites that are probably going to be top 10 or top 15, and then that's not counting two home games against Georgia and Alabama? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Auburn hasn't beaten LSU at LSU since 1999, no matter if they're ranked or not. It's just It's just a curse. Um, you know, you can almost assume a loss there. It's it's difficult to say. I remember reading, um, you know, the S&P Plus by Bill Conley. You know, he ranks Auburn eighth according to his formula, but he also predicts that being eighth in the country for Auburn would be about eight wins considering the schedule. And, you know, I think it would be fair to, to look at that and go, man, eight wins would be pretty good for this this schedule, but when you're in this state and Alabama's doing what it's doing, and now Georgia's do, doing what it's doing, just you know, a few hours to the east, um, and you're losing ground recruiting wise, and you're probably and you're about to build a new football complex. Do you want to go into an eighth year, a ninth year, a tenth year with Gus Malzahn? That'll be the question I have to be asked. And as you mentioned, with the changing dynamic of the president being out and then bringing in an interim president who actually is the former president here, Jay Gouge, who was here for a decade or so. Um, it's 
going to be interesting to watch. And I think what's really going to make the decision here is just how the fans react and, and most notably uh, the big boosters and the board of trustees, because listen, there were folks that wanted Gus Malzahn out after last season. And if it was, if that was the case in year one of that huge deal, you can imagine what it might be like here in year two of his big deal if they were to have a similar record as last season. That is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He was Brandon Marcello. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone.